This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, who's our card for this week? Our card for this week is Steve Sachs, second baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers, number 305. Okay, Steve Sachs. Looking forward to this one. But before we get to that, we had a listener mailbag first. We've made history, David. Somehow, after 50 episodes of this podcast, we've broken through and actually reached a player that we've talked about. We are through the looking glass here, Matt. Each week, I post the episodes to a couple different 80s baseball groups with a comment just to try to spur some conversation this week in the MLB 1980 to 89 Facebook group. Mike Dunn saw our post, listened to the podcast and said, Hey guys, fantastic job recapping history. Thumbs up emoji. Whoever did the research did an amazing job. Took me down memory lane. If you're from Bartonville, you know the history of the state hospital and old book. He is a legend. Some say a living legend. Smiley face emoji. All good stuff about gondolas. Gondolas? It's gondolas. Apologies to Peoria. He also said, Bradley, the Olympics in my pro career. I really enjoyed listening to this, so thanks for posting it. I had no idea how the 87 stats compared to the metrics used today when breaking down numbers. Very interesting. So that made my week. Of 50 episodes, that is the first time that we think... Unless that one-star review is definitely Lenny Dykstra. It's definitely Lenny Dykstra. <laughs> yes. So so that is, that's amazing. Congrats. And David, amazing research as Mike Dunn claimed. And for all of you listening out there, we don't have ads. We don't have premium subscriptions. We do this for you. And so please share the episodes. Please rate and review the show. So that not just so other listeners can find it, so that other former Major League Baseball players can find the show, listen to their episodes, and then contribute later. Great job to everyone on the 1988 top social media team who helped us secure that great review. But let's get back to our card now because we've got a great one today, and that is Steve Sachs, number 305. And this was a suggestion from a listener. Twitter user at Davis3380 suggested... Steve Sachs. I do like to uh, muddy up some of the reasons to avoid all of the spoilers in this, but he said that he had a notable case of the yips, a TV appearance, and a couple World Series rings. So thank you, listener Davis, for the suggestion of Steve Sachs. While we talked a lot about the Dodgers in the Don Sutton episode, I think the only Dodger that we've done so far is Tommy Lasorda. So Dodger number two, Steve Sachs. For some reason, I remember him more for his time with the Yankees, but obviously part of that 1988 World Series team. The 80s were the decade of the sax in general. When I think of the 80s and saxophones, I definitely think of the guy from the Lost Boys, shirtless (laughs) and oiled up, singing and playing the saxophone, and that famous video, famous gif. But there's a lot of 80s songs with saxophones. And maybe was it was it peak saxophone time? I, I, I'm thinking of the, you know, Kenny G, early Kenny G, Careless Whisper. We'll have a link in the show notes here to the best saxophone songs from the 1980s. So you can ruin your afternoon. <laughs> yeah, many of these I have sung in karaoke. I'd say 
all of the top 10 except for You Belong to the City. Number one, Who Can It Be Now by Men at Work, I would say is probably my favorite. Although Careless Whisper is the song by Wham that I have sung the most. We've talked about this song before, but the number one saxophone song ever is Baker Street. Oh yeah, without a doubt. We've covered the sax. Now let's get to Steve's sax. And going to the front of the card of 305, David, is this the worst picture yet that we've covered? I would say that this, aside from his face, could be a good action shot. And then you look at his face and he is in pain. He's really running hard. He's running maybe to the bathroom. (laughs) He has hurt himself. Something about Steve Sachs' personality that I read was that when he was a kid, he would run out even walks. He was a real go-getter and and really sprinting out every ground ball, every walk, running to first base. So maybe this is like he just got hit by a pitch and he's sprinting to first base. But he looks in pain. Yeah, definitely under some serious distress, whether it's GI or otherwise. It might be emotional. Maybe he just listened to Careless Whisper. That's possible, although this picture would look much more smooth then. Otherwise, like you said, very good-looking car, like in full motion, sprinting to first base. So you get to see the full uniform, Dodger blue in script in the front, the blue helmet. It's a good picture, except for his face. <laughs> now going to the back of the card, Steve Sachs, second baseman, 5'11", 179, right-handed batter and thrower. Drafted in the ninth round by the Dodgers in 1978 and born January 29th, 1960 in Sacramento, California with a home in Manhattan Beach. He was born in Sacramento and the third of five children born to John and Nancy Sachs. But the family lived on a small farm in West Sacramento. Sacramento, California is in Sacramento County. West Sacramento is just across the river, but is in Yolo County. So I also enjoyed that it's called Yolo County. They lived on a farm. His dad drove a truck before a series of heart attacks caused him to stay home. And his mother was the sole breadwinner in the family. John coached his son's baseball teams, both Dave Sachs and Steve. Dave Sachs was two years older, and often the brothers played on the same team. Steve also, he didn't play the saxophone growing up. He played the drums and later would go on to sit in with the Beach Boys a couple times later in his life. He attended James Marshall High School in West Sacramento. So I looked up, you know, I always like to find some other alumni, other famous names from this school. Turns out James Marshall High School in West Sacramento doesn't exist anymore. They changed the name the year after Sachs left to River City High. Mm. So Steve battles his way through River City High, gets all the way to the boss level, or James Marshall High, whatever. Same thing. His junior year, he was the league MVP, was all-city, all-state, all-American, playing shortstop, third base. His senior season, he was the Golden Empire League MVP and was named to the All-Northern California baseball team. The Golden Empire League MVP has got to be the best trophy ever. His brother Dave was two years ahead of him and playing at a local junior college. And he was the Northern California Junior College Player of the Year that same season. Yes, and that takes us to the This Way to the Clubhouse, where Steve signed as a ninth-round draft selection with the L.A. Dodgers June 14, 1978, by scout Ronnie King. Ronnie King was a Sacramento scout. I didn't realize that this was a thing at the time. You just had a guy who had that territory. He had a short minor league career and then 
was the scout in Sacramento for a few teams over a 30-plus year career. At this point, he was with the Dodgers. So he just got to know the local players. Steve was selected. That that ninth round of the 78th draft was interesting. He was drafted behind a couple guys who've come up on the podcast already. Charlie Lee Brandt, who was traded for Gerald Perry, and Charlie Lee, who, like Steve Jeltz, was born in France, hmm. were both selected in that ninth round. So this selection was great news for Steve, but his family couldn't figure out why Dave wasn't also drafted. Steve has said his brother had better numbers than some of the other draftees, and he was as highly touted as Steve coming out of high school and playing in junior college. So Ronnie King comes to the house to sign Steve, and Mrs. Sachs says, why didn't you pick Dave? And I guess Ronnie couldn't come up with a good enough answer, and so Ronnie took Dave Sachs out on the field, had him bat some balls, play the field, and and they signed both Saxes. <laughs> Good job, Mom. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Mom so gets 15% of that one. John Sachs had already suffered a couple heart attacks by this point and was out of work. So getting both of those brothers signed two professional contracts was probably a big deal. Steve, at this point, passed up a full scholarship to the University of Arizona, and both brothers go on to minor league ball. Well, good job, Mom. Both Sachs brothers end up in the Rookie League club in Lethbridge, Alberta. Both brothers start playing in the Dodgers minor league system and slowly work their way up. That first year, Dave Sachs is playing mostly at second base, and Steve is playing mostly at shortstop. He hits 328. Both of those brothers get moved up to Clinton, Iowa, for A level. And Dave shows some real versatility here. He hits 270 in 97 games, mostly as a catcher, and made the Midwest League All Star team. Steve played in the outfield and spent a little bit of time at second base, hits 290 in 115 games. And then in 1980, they are moved apart for a little while. Steve plays at Vero Beach full time as a second baseman and earns a promotion to double A. And then in 1981, he's at AA San Antonio. And I think Dave joins him again at AA. And that takes us to our second fun fact, which was that Steve was Texas League MVP at San Antonio in 1981. In that 1981 season, Steve's hitting 346. His brother was hitting 306. So both Sachs brothers are playing really well at AA. Steve, as a second baseman, earns a call up all the way from AA to the Dodgers. In August, Davey Lopes is injured, and it's notable that the Dodgers had the same infield for nine seasons. Steve Garvey, Davey Lopes, Bill Russell, Ron Say were written in in permanent ink in the lineup, and you have Steve Sachs coming in for 31 games to take the spot of, of Davey Lopes due to injury. And he hit pretty well, 271, had a little bit of speed in that short stint. The Dodgers make the playoffs. But Davey Lopes is back from injury, so Steve doesn't play very much. He gets two short outings in the World Series, once as a pinch hitter in Game 1 where he flies out, and then as a pinch runner in Game 2. Both of those games were losses, but Steve still gets a ring for the 1981 World Series championship. He ends up impressing enough that the Dodgers decide to let Davey Lopes go after the 1981 season. They trade him to the A's, and now Steve Sachs is the permanent second baseman for pretty much the rest of the decade. It was his time to shine and slotted into that infield. He made an impression on the field. 
And on the media, one reporter said interviewing Steve was like spending an afternoon in a washing machine or a crashing <laughs> plane. <laughs> in 2020, there were some replays of the 1988 World Series, and Steve Sachs is there being interviewed about them. And he's really energetic, and he's telling stories, and he's throwing stuff out there. And I, I could just imagine with some of the more reticent players in a locker room, then you have Steve Sachs coming in and being bubbly and running to first base, that kind of attitude that it was probably pretty jarring for the media. And he showed that on the field as well, enthusiasm, sprinting everywhere, running out walks, sprinting on routine grounders and playing the field as well. He said that on opening day, he was running out to second base, tripped and nearly fell on his face. He didn't, but but that was maybe an, an inauspicious start to what would be an outstanding rookie season. Yeah, definitely. 282, playing 150 games, and 49 stolen bases. Yeah, he set a Dodger rookie record. He was also caught 19 times, so an aggressive base runner. And he led the Dodgers in runs scored, hits, stolen bases, uh, and tied for the team lead with seven triples. And he made the All-Star game in his rookie season. He got a single in his one at bat, was the only rookie named to that All-Star team, and ended up winning the Rookie of the Year award that season. So huge year. And his brother Dave also gets to join him for a couple games. Yeah, Dave's career in the major leagues was not as illustrious as Steve's. He played nine games total for LA in 82 and 83, and then was part of the 85 through 87 Red Sox. So Dave Sachs doesn't make it into the 88 top set, but we thought we would give him a shout out here. Well, moving on to 1983, it's a very similar year for Steve. You know, contact hitter, 281 average, but a slugging percentage of only 350. So there's not a lot of extra base hits there, but it's still very solid. Five triples, five home runs, 56 steals. But as I said in the 82 season, he gets caught stealing a lot. In this season, he got caught stealing 30 times, (laughs) which led the league. Since 1920, only four guys have been caught stealing more than 30 times in a season. Those are Ricky Henderson, Omar Moreno, Lou Brock, and Maury Wills. All of those guys in the season where they were caught stealing more than 30 times had more than 90 steals. So Steve, not a great percentage of success in that season, but but the Dodgers kept sending him running. This is also around the time when, when Steve Sachs gets his case of the yips. Yes, it became known as Steve Sachs syndrome. Early in the season, Sachs caught a relay throw in Montreal and overthrew the catcher. He had another error in the game, so maybe, you know, bad luck. Not a big deal. Second basemen get errors all the time. The next week, he had another error. And then he got kind of caught up in his head, and he said that he lost confidence in his ability to play second base. He was hoping that the ball didn't get hit to him, and his teammates were too. Pedro Guerrero, at one point, who was normally an outfielder, was put in at third base and said, the first thing I'm thinking is, please, God, don't let him hit the ball to me. The second thing I'm thinking is, please, God, don't let him hit the ball to Sacks. And there's been a few notable instances of players getting the yips. Chuck Knobloch notably threw the ball into the stands and hit Keith Olbermann's mom. Rick Ankeel stopped being able to throw strikes. Even earlier, Steve Blass was a a great pitcher and then just kind of fell out of the league and was unable to throw strikes. With Sacks, he had 24 errors in the first half of the season. In 82, he had 
uh, 19 in all of 1982, which is pretty high in itself. But despite the errors at 83, he still made his second all-star team, but he just had no confidence playing second base. The team thought about moving him to third or moving him into the outfield. David, my wife is a science writer, and we co-host a podcast called This Week in Sports Psychology and (laughs) Athletics Conditions. And the yips are a precursor to a condition called dystonia. My wife had written about runner's dystonia, which is runners who, for some reason, it's like their body forgets how to run. And the connections, the neural pathways uh, between the brain and the muscles just are crossed for some reason. It's very strange. And the therapy to get through it for them sometimes is to change the mechanics somewhat. So runners end up running barefoot or running backwards as a way to continue running. One way that didn't work for Steve was Tommy Lasorda, (laughs) who took Steve aside and said, how many people can hit 300 in the big leagues? And Steve said, not many. He said, how many people can steal 40 bases in the big leagues? Steve said, not many. Tommy said, how many people can make the throw from second to first? Millions. (laughs) But so Tommy was not able to coach him out of it. But Steve's dad was able to help him get through that with a little bit of fatherly advice. He called his dad, who at the time was facing some more heart issues. He'd had multiple heart attacks. I read one place he had five before he turned 47. And they're talking about this throwing problem. John Sachs tells him he had gone through a similar instance when he was in high school. And he just said, one day you'll wake up and this whole thing will be gone. And that if you just concentrate and practice and get your body back into the routine and you'll just wake up and it'll become second nature again. And Sachs said he was right, that one day it was just all over. But Steve also said that that was the last conversation that he had with his dad. And his dad died on June 10th of 1983. Steve went the last 37 games of the 1983 season without an error. And later he would go on to lead the American League in fielding percentage and double plays. And it seemed like to the extent that it arose in 1983, the yips never came back. So a couple of years after his dad passed away, Steve is talking with his mom about this situation and, and tells her about the story. And his mom says, your dad never went through anything like that. He lied and was just <laughs> trying to help you get over it. It's a good, good dad white lie to help his help his kid get through a tough time. You got to love it. So good job, John. Good job, dad. Closing out 1983, the Dodgers win the NL West, but they lost in the playoffs to the Phillies. Steve Sachs hit 250 in that series. 1984, he signs a new contract to keep him in LA through the 1988 season. A bit of a down year for him. He only hit 243. And the Dodgers had a bit of a down year, too. They were under 500. Moving to 1985, there was an early injury that kept Sachs out of the lineup for the beginning of the year. So he only played 136 games out of 162. And was starting a little slow. But then things turned around due to an epic prank. So Steve's in in a bit of a slump. The Dodgers are in Philadelphia. I read this story and I thought, like, well, of course that was something that Tommy Lasorda did. Tommy Lasorda <laughs> made made an appearance at a church 
And as a thank you, somebody at this church said that they would cater a meal the next time the Dodgers were in town. And that catering included an entire pig. And apparently Tommy Lasorda was just at this table with this whole pig roast. And he was just cutting pieces of the pig off for the team. The whole team's there having this party. And Mark Cressy, who's the Dodgers bullpen coach, and a couple teammates go to the kitchen staff. And they didn't necessarily have a a prank target when they thought of this prank. But they decided that they were going to steal this pig's head. So they get the kitchen staff to cut off the pig's head. And they throw the pig's head into a garbage bag. They then talk about, like, all right, who who are we going to get with this pig's head prank? And apparently Steve Sachs was the unanimous choice. <laughs> Seems like an easy target, like a really good target because he's the go-getter. He's running out walks on the base paths. He's just trying really hard. Yes. And, you know, talkative, energetic. He would joke with Tommy Lasorda as well. Maybe he was a little bit annoying to his teammates. Maybe annoying. Yeah. Yeah. So they got everybody involved in this. Apparently, like, everybody wanted to pull a prank on Steve Sachs. The traveling (laughs) secretary for the team gets a key from the front desk to Steve's room. Cressy and a couple bat boys sneak in with the head, put it in the bed with the pillows, and apparently Steve just fell asleep fully clothed, wakes up to find this pig's head with the apple still in its mouth and a note that says you better start putting baseball first in your life and you better start playing better and it was signed the godfather (laughs) (laughs) and it worked david from that point forward he hits 316 and finishes with a 279 average so he's really turned it around thanks to this terrible threat from his team (laughs) this terrible prank from his team yeah i you know i don't know how how much causation versus correlation is there, but the numbers don't lie. He was hitting 226 before July 4th and ended with a 279 average, so the, the pig's head must have worked. We are all about unfounded causation on this show, and the efficacy of pranks here, 100%. And it helps the Dodgers down the stretch. They win another NL West title. Again, they lose in the playoffs in the NLCS. But Steve hits 300 in the playoffs, so things are really turning around for him and on the way up. Going into 1986, Steve said he was having his best spring ever. Things were really coming together. And this ends up being his best season overall. He hits 332 to be second in the league in batting, 210 hits, and 43 doubles, winning the Silver Slugger Award for the league's second baseman. He played in his third All-Star game. And in his only at-bat, he drove in a run. He had a 25-game hitting streak. This Dodger team was a little bit disappointing coming off that NL West victory, and they finished only fifth in 1986. And after that season, it came out that Steve was playing most of the season injured. He had surgery after the season to remove a bone spur and reposition a nerve in his foot, which sounds horribly painful. Yeah, that is that doesn't sound fun at all. And he had 40 stolen bases on a out-of-position nerve in his foot. It's impressive. That is impressive. 1987 and 88, very similar-looking seasons. Down a little bit in average from the year before, but looking like normal Steve Sack seasons. Around 280, 30 to 40 steals, some triples, not very many home runs. And in 1987, the Dodgers were under 500, but 88... The Dodgers win the NL West. They go 94 and 67. 
and they meet the Mets in the National League Championship Series. And this Mets team had won 10 out of 11 games that they played versus the Dodgers in the regular season. So heavily favored, two years away from the Mets winning the 86 World Series. The Dodgers have not impressed in the playoffs in recent seasons, but the Dodgers won that series in seven. And Steve had a really good NLCS. He got hits in six of the seven games against the Mets, including three hits and two RBIs in the decisive game seven. And it takes him to the World Series again, underdogs with a ton of injuries. Kirk Gibson, the NL MVP, is out injured. The A's are unstoppable. And Steve had a, a really good World Series. And you know, we've, we've talked about the 88 World Series a little bit before, but Steve was a big part of that. He hit 300. He had hits in all five games and scored runs in three of Los Angeles's victories. What I remember from game one with the the classic Kirk Gibson walk-off home run, the pumping his fist rounding second, and coming around home to score to, to win game one, Steve Sachs, who is on deck, was clearing everybody out of the way so that he could touch home plate. I couldn't find in the rule book if it definitively said that if you touch a player before they touch home plate, that they're out if you are a bench player or something like that. But I've heard Steve say that he was worried. He didn't want there to be any question that Kirk Gibson touched home plate and that the umpire saw it. And so you see him sprinting around and telling, like screaming at his teammates to get out of the way, get out of the way. And he, you know, the last thing he wanted was for them to, for Gibson to not touch home plate and for them to lose on a technicality or something like that. Ultimate effort at all times. Steve Sachs is what we're seeing. He gets his second World Series ring, and that closes out the contract as well in a free agent year. Yeah, good timing for Steve. After eight seasons, three All-Star games, two World Series, Sachs is probably thinking, okay, he's going to get a good, he's going to get a good bump from the Dodgers. They offer him two years, two point three million plus an option for a third season. And that would have made Steve the highest paid second baseman in baseball. The GM was quoted as saying, this is our final offer. If you think you're getting screwed, don't sign it. If you think you can get a better deal, take it. And Sachs found a better deal. He got three years and four million with the Yankees. And he left the Dodgers as uh, fifth all-time in steals with 290 steals and walked away. As we discussed in, with the Ken Phelps episode, the Yankees have money to spend. They're not afraid to spend it. With Ken Phelps, they maybe didn't get what they bargained for. But with the Yankees, I mean, he has three solid seasons with the Yankees. And these were not great Yankees teams. They had, had no pitching and an aging team. And the Yankees never won more than 74 games when Steve was there. But he had good seasons. In 89, he hit... 315, 205 hits, 88 runs scored, and 43 stolen bases. And he was first in fielding percentage among second basemen. But he was frustrated with the losing. And he made the All-Star game in 89 and 90. And his frustration showed. He he broke five helmets in 1989. That's the best stat. Yeah, it's not on the card. Not on the card. That They should have had that as a fun fact in future years. 1990, yeah, the Yankees are in last place. 1991, Steve's last season in New York. Again, a good player, not a great team. I mean, he's hitting over 300, but his greatest contribution to pop culture is in 1991, and that was the year that he was on The Simpsons in the epic episode, Homer at the Bat. David, 
knowing that Steve Sachs was coming up on the show made me so excited. Since getting to watch some classic Simpsons is just a breath of fresh air in you know the toxic stew that is media and culture in 2021 America. Going back to 1991, 1992 Simpsons is just oh, it's so glorious. And it moves so quickly. This episode, Homer at the Bat, Season 3, The Golden Age of the Simpsons. Mr. Burns makes a bet with the Shelbyville power plant owner about the plant's softball team. And then has Smithers bring in ringers. He tells Smithers to get this team, and it's all players from like the 1915s. Like he wants Three Finger Brown to be his pitcher. And Smithers (laughs) has to tell him like all of those guys are dead. In reality, the writers aimed really high with who they wanted on this team. They asked Carlton Fisk, Ryan Sandberg... Ricky Henderson, Nolan Ryan, those are the guys who said no. So then they went maybe down a level, and they got Ken Griffey, Roger Clemens, Daryl Strawberry, Jose Canseco, Don Mattingly, and Steve Sachs, and Mike Sosha, a pretty great backup squad. And one of the writers said, we'd originally asked Ryan Sandberg, but he didn't want to do it. The guy said, no offense to Steve Sachs, he's a fine player, but Sandberg was clearly headed for the Hall of Fame. Steve Sachs said yes. One of the other writers, who was not a baseball fan, said after recording, that is the closest I've come to falling in love with a man. (laughs) So Steve Sachs' effervescent charm continues on all the way into the recording studio for The Simpsons. So as the episode continues, this team of ringers, of nine ringers from you know, around the major leagues is brought in. But Homer, who had helped the softball team actually get to the finals because he had discovered a wonder bat that would help him hit lots of home runs, he ends up getting benched. Daryl Strawberry is really entertaining in this episode and the back and forth between him and Homer. Homer says something like, are you a better outfielder than me? And he says, I've never met you, but yes. (laughs) And so going into the final game... It's perfectly foreshadowed by Mr. Burns, who says, there's no way I can lose this bet unless nine separate terrible, tragic accidents happen to all of the players between now and when the game starts. And lo and behold, it happens to all of the players, except for Daryl Strawberry, who's playing Homer's position. And Steve Sachs, the, the terrible thing that happens to him, has a whole lot of resonance in 2021, David. Reach for your license. Slowly. Well, well. Steve Sachs from New York City. I heard some guy got killed in New York City and they never solved the case. But you wouldn't know anything about that now, would you, Steve? (laughs) (laughs) But there's hundreds of unsolved murders in New York City. You don't know when to keep your mouth shut, do you, sexy boy? All the players have their different mishaps, but in the final game, in a mysterious managerial move, Mr. Burns, with the bases loaded... And Daryl Strawberry at the plate in a tie game in the bottom of the ninth inning pulls Strawberry because he's facing a left-handed pitcher and decides to play the percentages by bringing in Homer Simpson. Homer Simpson's wonder bat, though, however, has been singed to a crisp by Roger Clemens during a practice. So he's up there with a regular bat. And what will happen? Will Homer actually bring home the winning run with a home run? No, as it turns out. In looking at the signs at Mr. Burns and being totally confused, he kind of leans over the plate with his head, takes a pitch straight off his head, collapses in a heap on home plate, 
and gets the winning run with a hit by pitch. This was also a winning episode in that it was a huge moment for the series as the first time that they beat the Cosby show in ratings at the time slot. And this is regarded as one of the greatest Simpsons episodes ever. And I agree. I agree with that too. Here we're going to listen to the song Talkin' Softball, which is Terry Cashman parodying his own song Talkin' Baseball. Matt, I've come across this in my search for other team songs. Terry Cashman has recorded Talkin' Baseball for like every team. Some of them are better than others. None of them are as good as Talkin' Softball. He said that he gets more requests for Talkin' Softball than for the original song. Of course, because it is a classic, and we are going well, to Burns listen to it. that now. The power plant had won it, with Roger Clemens clucking all the while. Mike Sosha's tragic illness made us smile. While Wade Boggs lay unconscious on the barroom tile. We're talking softball, from Maine to San Diego. Talking softball, Manningly and Conseco. And Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw. Steve Sachs and his running with the law. We're talking Homer, Ozzy and the Straw. Steve Sachs had plenty of other media appearances, other TV shows, Who's the Boss, Hollywood Squares. Square Pegs. And later in a movie called Ground Control. <laughs> with Kiefer Sutherland, Kelly McGillis, and Christy Swanson, Steve played a pilot. Well, now that we're through The Simpsons, the rest of this is going to speed up, guys. So 1992, the Yankees decide to revamp the pitching staff and trade Steve Sachs away as part of that. They trade him for Domingo John, Melito Perez, and Bob Wickman to the Chicago White Sox. I distinctly remember him as a White Sox player and thought he was definitely there longer than a year and a half. (laughs) But he was only there in 92 and 93. The Sox had finished second in 1991. And I definitely thought that this was going to be the deal that moved the White Sox into first place in 1992. Sachs had a disappointing 92 season. He hit 236 with 30 steals in what would end up being his last full season in the majors for the White Sox. 93, he only played 57 games. The White Sox made the playoffs, but Sachs didn't play in the ALDS. In 1994, the White Sox released him as he was rehabbing from injury, signs with the A's and plays seven games, and retires. So, closing the book on Steve Sachs' career, 14 seasons, two World Series rings, was the Rookie of the Year in 1982, five-time All-Star, 1986 Silver Slugger, and a career average of 281 with... 1,949 hits and 444 stolen bases. So very successful career for Steve Sachs. So in retirement, true to form, he's been running around very busy in the last 25 plus years. On top of all those TV and movie appearances, he was a financial consultant for other athletes. He briefly ran for California State Assembly in 1996. I think the race was getting a little bit ugly and his divorce was publicized. I'm not exactly sure what was in there, but he dropped out of the race prior to the primary. He was also a first base coach for the Diamondbacks for a little while. He worked for MLB Radio and was part of the Dodgers community relations team. He's also been an executive and personal coach and motivational speaker. 
He wrote a book called Shift, Change Your Mindset and Change Your World. And his story about the yips and his father is popular at his motivational speeches. Now that you've had a chance to dig into Steve Sachs's career and retirement, what are your final thoughts on the card and the player? So aside from the terrible picture on the front of this card, if you look at the back of this card, there's a ton of stolen bases. His 1986 season clearly stands out. 210 hits, a 330 average. I remember Steve Sachs as being an all-star second baseman. He was a five-time all-star. But I think that maybe my viewpoint is skewed by the Simpsons. And so you have folks who remember him either for Steve Sachs syndrome or the Simpsons. And I think he's somewhere in the middle of those two. (laughs) It's cool that he's taken that story of this throwing yips and turned it into something that can help other people because that's ruined some other careers. If you think about Chuck Knobloch, the Yankees just moved him out of second base, moved him into the outfield, and a couple years later, he's out of the league. Steve took it, turned it into a story of redemption and his father's love for him. I think that that's a, a lovely story. And he uses stories like that to help people overcome challenges, refocus their lives. Steve's also said that he's maybe best remembered for Homer at the bat. And he's going into his last couple seasons. He's beyond his peak. But the Simpsons is just getting into the golden age. Season three, the the episodes that we remember of the Simpsons, people of, of our age, and now people watching reruns of that show, this is one of the best episodes of the Simpsons. And Steve did an admirable job as a very charming voice actor. And while he was out of the league by 1994, in this show, he's on there with... Ken Griffey Jr., Wade Boggs, Ozzie Smith. And to some of us, that immortalized him as one of the greats. So while he didn't get any Hall of Fame votes and isn't in that kind of conversation, appearing on The Simpsons and being in this group, he's part of the nine best players in baseball as far as much of America could have been concerned if they were not huge baseball fans but were watching The Simpsons. Yeah, so Mr. Burns ends up putting Steve Sachs in his own little Hall of Fame. He was on the Springfield Nuclear Power Plant team, and really, isn't that enough? Well, thank you, David. Thank you to listener at Davis3380 on Twitter. We love your suggestions. We're at facebook.com slash 1988tops podcast. And if you have a grotesquely swollen jaw, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter. You can find us at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. 